But we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting reading at verse 1. And as we read, we remember this is God's word. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were, to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. Amen. We end our reading there from God's truth. Let us pray and ask for God's help to understand his word today. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you that the Bible tells one story from beginning to end, although it was written over thousands of years by lots of different people, yet it teaches one truth. So we thank you for that. We thank you that we can learn from the Old and from the New Testaments. We pray that you would help us today by the power of your Holy Spirit we need that help. We, by ourselves, are slow to understand. We are weak. We are frail. Some of us are tired. Some of us have had difficult weeks where we will struggle to even listen to a sermon today. But we pray for your supernatural help, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Speak, O God, into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. I heard someone say recently that preaching a sermon is like writing a letter with no address to send it to. And I kind of get that point. You see, here we are on a Sunday and there are lots of people in this room. 
And every Sunday, we all hear the same sermon. Now, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who, who works in our hearts and minds to take that sermon and to apply it to our own lives personally. But that doesn't come without some thoughtfulness on your behalf. Like, I, I try to make sure my sermons have application in them. But in terms of you personally, in your individual circumstances, it's rarely possible for me to make direct application. I am sure that you wouldn't like it if I started naming you from the pulpit and suggesting this point is for you. And if I did that, which by the way, I'm not going to do, the sermon suddenly stops being applicable to everybody else in the room. So a sermon has to be broad in its application. Comfort for the distressed. Assurance for the doubting. Rebuke for those in sin, hope for those in despair, and on so many different individual situations. Much of the work is down to you to reflect on what God is saying through his word. It's simply not possible for me to spoon feed each and every person in the room. But that's not to say that God hasn't provided for his church to be individually cared for. In fact, the the topic we're focusing on in this series is the answer to how God applies his word to each heart in the congregation. Through the eldership, God takes the letter and he puts a name and address on it. He addresses the letter of his word and he applies it directly to you, to whatever it is you are facing personally at any particular time. How does this happen? Well, it happens through pastoral visitation. It happens through conversations at the gate after church on a Sunday. It happens through phone calls. It happens through text messages And this role does not only belong to the minister, it belongs to the whole Kirk session. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Let the elders who rule be counted worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in the word and doctrine. And so according to Paul, all of the elders rule. It's just that some also labour in word and doctrine. Other versions, instead of word and doctrine, say preaching and teaching. So so that's me. But the point is that all of the elders rule. They rule the church on behalf of Christ according to his word. And so our big point for today is this. The eldership is how Jesus runs the church by applying the very word of God to your heart in your own individual and personal circumstances. My plan for us in this sermon is to look at the Bible. That's what we do in a sermon. We're going to have a bit of an overview of the office of elder. We're going to look at where it comes from and how it's to be exercised in the church today. 
I want to try and answer two questions, not separately, but at the same time. Why do we have elders? And why do we need elders? Why we have elders and why we need elders? Let me be very clear on this point. Last week I said that I believe the PCI to be an error on one particular issue. I do not believe them. I do not believe us. We are the PCI. I do not believe us to be an error on this issue of how the church is organised. Being governed by a series of courts of elders, starting with the local Kirk session in the local congregation and then the presbytery in a local geographical area and then the general assembly overseeing the whole denomination. This form of church government which we practice in PCI, is, I believe, both agreeable to and founded upon the word of God. To help us see that, we're going to start off deep in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus and chapter 18. It's quite a long section. I think it's worth reading the whole thing. So if you have your Bible there, keep a finger in Ephesians 4. We will return to that, but Turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. It's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 13. God's word says, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they will bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. 
So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. What do we see in this passage? We see here that due to the sound advice of his father-in-law, Moses realised he couldn't judge all the people all the time. And so he chose out capable men from among the people to judge the people. It's important to notice, what does that word judge mean? It means to rule the people. It means making the statutes of God known to the people. In other words, it's taking what God says in his word and applying it to people's lives, to people's individual and personal circumstances. This is important. It shows us why God has blessed the church with elders in Kirk Session. So that one man is not worn out doing the work. And, and it means that each one of you then have someone in church that you can come to with questions. Questions about faith and practice. Someone who knows you. Who knows your life circumstances. And someone who can speak God's truth specifically into your life. Whatever it is you're going through. That might be a rebuke. If you're in sin, it might be a word of comfort if you're distressed. But the point is, it's not just down to the minister to do this job. It's down to the elders, all the elders. And you should please realise that the elders in this congregation fulfil this rule equally. In this sense, I am one of the elders. I love to hear questions. I enjoy the privilege that God has given me to labour full time in this role. But this is something that all, all of the elders can and all of the elders should be doing. And so it speaks especially to us as, as we come to elect elders in the congregation. This is what we need. We need men who can not only offer wisdom. Wisdom is hard to find. But we want biblical and godly wisdom. What does God say about this in his word? On those matters that you have questions around in in your own personal lives. This practice, this pattern is continued throughout the Old Testament. You don't need to turn there, but for example, the the book of 2 Chronicles, we read about King Jehoshaphat reforming the system. It had kind of wasted away and, and he reforms it. And this is what he says to the judges, the elders. He says to them, take heed to what you're doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. And so we learn that an elder carries out his role with the authority of God. God has placed him in that position. And so it is a really heavy, it's a weighty responsibility. This is who we're looking for 
We're looking for people who can shoulder this responsibility. Of course, it's not only seen in the Old Testament. It is the pattern which is laid out for the people of God in the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew, for example, Jesus affirms that he is giving his power to the church for matters of faith and practice. In Matthew chapter 16, following Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you'll remember what Jesus says to him. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now the Roman Catholic Church has used this passage to justify having a Pope in Rome. A Pope in the line of Peter. They claim that Peter has the keys of the kingdom. Many in the Protestant church have reacted against that. And we've said that, that claiming that it's not, it's, it's not Peter who is the rock, that it's the truth that Jesus is the Christ. That's the rock upon which he will build his church. But it might be that we've been working too hard to oppose an error and we've missed an element of the truth. You see, Peter in this passage is speaking on behalf of the disciples. And so when Jesus responds, he's giving a response to all of the disciples. And at this point in in Matthew chapter 16, the disciples represent the leadership of the church. And so when Jesus says that he's giving them the keys of the kingdom, he genuinely means that there's a mechanism for coming into the fellowship of the church. And there's a mechanism for being excommunicated from the church. And it's the leadership of the church who hold those keys. In a moment, I will try and show you how these keys have passed from the disciples as apostles to the elders of the church. But perhaps this is an appropriate point to to show you or to say that this is the reason why the elders in the Kirk session of a local congregation The elders are the ones who decide who can and cannot receive baptism. Who can and who cannot come into communicant membership. It's through the elders that Jesus exercises discipline in the church. And that means it's down to the Kirk session as a whole to decide upon these important matters of of who is in the fellowship of the church and who is not. Members of the church are all those who have fellowship with the risen Lord Jesus. The Kirk Session carries the heavy responsibility of judging a person's profession of faith in Jesus. And more than that, continually judging if a person is living in accordance with that profession. So when seeking to elect elders, you need to think about someone who is brave, really brave, Brave enough to confront you if you're wandering into sin. And let me tell you, I I have very limited experience in this. 
But I know this isn't an easy thing to do. Many nights sleep are lost over such a conversation. Let's move on to Matthew chapter 28. I'm sure you all know the Great Commission. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now notice who Jesus is talking to in this passage. Who is it that went away into Galilee? It's the 11 disciples. Jesus is is speaking to the disciples who represent the leadership of the church. And so while we often hear this passage in Matthew 28 as being given to the whole church, and, and that's fair enough, it's important to know that it's given to the church through the disciples. And so it's not everybody's role or responsibility to, to teach all things. That's not everybody's job. It's not everybody's responsibility to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is given to the disciples as apostles who then pass it on to the elders during the initial years of the church in the New Testament. And to see that most clearly, we can turn to Acts chapter 20. Paul calls the Ephesian elders to come and see him in Miletus in Acts chapter 20. And during the interaction, there's many tears and hugs and kisses. And Paul transfers to those elders oversight of the church in Ephesus. He commends them to God in this task. And he proclaims that they have been made overseers of the flock in Ephesus by the Holy Spirit to shepherd the church of God. And so we see in that passage, Acts 20, a transfer of oversight from Paul the Apostle to the local elders of the church. And so we can learn that when we elect and even ordain elders in the church, we're simply recognizing something that the Holy Spirit is doing. It's the Holy Spirit who makes someone an elder in a local congregation and in the church as a whole. So when you're thinking about voting, please be looking for someone who will be able to carry out the role that the Holy Spirit has called them to. And friends, can I take this opportunity to ask you to please, please pray for the elders in this congregation. We are human beings. We are sinful men. We make mistakes. We make errors. And so we need the prayers of the congregation in order to shepherd you well. In the grace of God, seeking God and his grace, seeking God in his word so that we can govern according to God's word. What did we read from the letter to the Ephesians earlier in the service? So we're back in Ephesians 4 by this point. I said we'd be jumping about in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Elders as pastors 
are a gift to the church. He himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we no longer should be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. The apostles and the prophets are now in glory with the Lord Jesus. The pastors and teachers are the elders of the church which we have today. And so it's important that we submit to them. They've been given as a gift to the church. That's what this passage says. In order that you and everybody else in this room will be equipped and edified and come to unity of the faith and grow in our knowledge of Christ and mature in Jesus so that whenever the wind and the waves of this world come at us, we can stand firm. I hope that I've shown from Scripture an answer to both of these questions, why we have local elders and why we need local elders. To bring things to a close, there's one more thing I want to mention from the book of Acts. And this is where we come to the governing structure of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Because when an elder is ordained in the Presbyterian Church, they don't only become an elder in the local congregation, that's where they will spend most of their time and effort, but they become an elder in the whole church. And so they have the duty and right from time to time to serve both presbytery and general assembly. The best place to see this is in the New Testament in Acts 15. Acts chapter 15 is often referred to as the Jerusalem Council. And we're told that there are apostles and elders in Jerusalem who come together to consider a matter that has been sent to them by the church in Antioch. So here they are in Jerusalem. And the elders and apostles gather together, working in conjunction. And the point is that they are in Jerusalem, but they're asked to judge over a matter from Antioch. The issue is about circumcision, and it's a very, very important matter. But it's not really important to the point that I'm making right now. What's important for us is that here we have a church in Jerusalem gathering leaders together and judging for a church from elsewhere in Antioch. In other words, those are two congregations, but they're not independent of one another. They are connected. And a decision made in one place has authority in another. Why? Because it's made on behalf of Christ according to his word. In fact, this decision which comes out of Jerusalem is addressed to the churches not only in Antioch, but in Syria and Cilicia. So it is that the PCI follows this biblical pattern. Isn't it wonderful to know that the decisions of our church, which we adhere to in this congregation, 
Well, they're judged by elders for us from all over this island. The wisdom of elders from Cork to Colerain and from Saintfield to Slago. All of that wisdom goes into the decisions we make at General Assembly. Four more local decisions and judgments. We have the elders who make up the presbytery of Newry. From Kilkeel to Market Hill. For even more local judgments. We have the local Kirk session of this congregation. Friends, the government of our church is good news. It is how Christ places a name and address on the teaching of his word. How he applies it to your life. It's how Christ carries on oversight of the church. After his ascension, it's how he carries on the great commission of teaching his word and administering his sacraments. It's through the eldership that Christ administers and applies his covenant of grace to each one of us. When you're praying for our Kirk session and and when you're thinking who you might vote for, think about who will apply the word of God to your life personally. Rebuke for your sin, Comfort for your distress, courage in your trial, and hope in the face of despair. Pouring the very word of God into your heart with all grace and humility. Seek these men. Pray for them and submit to their godly and biblical wisdom. I'm going to do that now. Let's pray together.